first thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on the <laughs> No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And this is Scott Galloway, broadcasting live from the Mandarin Oriental Dim Sum. (laughs) You know, Kara, I just want to be clear. Too easy. Okay, Kara, let's be honest. We should absolutely not gloat. No gloating here. We're not going to gloat. We're way above us. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Hold on. Hold on. Do you hear that knock at the door? I hear a knock. Oh, wait. Who is it? It's science. It's those bad boys called science. Oh, wait, there's another knock at the door, Kara. It's competence. We're going to get rid of those Joey bag of donuts. We're going to recognize greatness is in the agency of others and bring in some real fucking gangsters into this cabinet. Oh, wait, but there's another knock. There's another knock. Who is it? It's JC. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus, who begins and ends with love the poor. We are about to start loving the poor again. Jesus has been throwing up in his mouth for the last 45 seconds, and he's feeling much better. Oh, another knock. It's immigrants. Well, welcome back, my brothers and sisters. And finally, hello, fathers who can be tell their sons that they can be proud of the most famous father, the man who is supposed to be a role model, Joseph Biden. But we are not going to gloat. We're not going to (laughs) gloat. Oh, God. Gosh. Scott, oh. we're not supposed to gloat. It's just not nice. There's 7 million right people that did not vote for this man, Joe Biden. I, I could cry right now. <laughs> oh, God. Are I feel you like I'm in the first few minutes of a six-month exhale. Oh, listen to me. No gloating. <sighs> we are going to be measured. Oh. We are going to say welcome, everybody, uh, even though they don't want to be welcomed. And even though they were sore winners and they're sore losers, we are going to be kind and good. Correct? Because we won. Oh, fuck that. All There's right. a level of criminality here that should absolutely <laughs> know, be I'm prosecuted. <laughs> what do you think? Are you crazy? I've already been tweeting all morning. Um, it's interesting because uh, unlike you, I do have Trumpy relatives who are very upset. Uh, my mom decided she accepts the Joe Biden presidency. She accepts it. I was literally like, no one cares if you accept it or not. It was very funny. Um, and then proceeded to to make up terrible names for uh, the vice president, the vice president-elect. Um, and also impugn her as a woman in ways that I, I'm not going to repeat. Anyway, there you have it. They're not going. They're not going down softly. What are your takeaways? Uh, you know, it's interesting. The the numbers are rising uh, for them, so it looks a little better. So I think it'll go away quicker. Um, I think that there'll be recounts, obviously, in Georgia, which was very close, by the way, and so so but other states in the past. So I think that's that's uh, prudent to do that. Um, I think the numbers are rising in places like Arizona and other places, but we'll see. You know, they have to be called. One of the things that's irritating this morning is the GSA is not uh, going to give in so that Biden can get started on the transition. Um, there's some monies that go from the government and, and emails and things like that. Um, so they're being they're being kind of shitty about that, but that's all right. Whatever, it'll it'll all get done. And by the way, there's now a uh, a, a, a Twitter account for the dogs, which are great. Um, so I'm excited about first that. First rescue dog. Chairman. First rescue dog going yeah. to the White House. And they're adorable. They're really cute. I, you know, it sounds dumb, but I like dogs and it, it's weird for someone not to like a dog, um, to me. And I get if you're allergic to it, that's very different. But if you just don't like dogs, it's a weird situation. I like dogs being in the White House. I think it's a nice thing. Yeah, it is I like nice cats, thing. dogs, et cetera, like that. So I think it's good. I think, I think the, 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 uh, the futures markets are up. Everything's up. Everyone's pretty uh, excited that there's, um, going to be a transition, I think. And of course, the the vaccine thing, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, so I think people feel pretty good. What do you think? What do you think? Uh, there, I think there's a lot of interesting takeaways here. Um, so uh, it strikes me that uh, a woman of color, I believe, yeah. gave uh, Biden. The, first off, let me just say, Madam Vice President is super exciting. 
Um, but it was another woman of color that, in my opinion, really played the critical um, role in this election, and that was Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams, sure. And also um, a congressman from South Carolina. He basically delivered the election to Biden. You realize after the first debate, John Biden's Clyburn. chances of winning, do you know what they were? Do you know what the yeah, odds well, were that I he remember. was going to be president? It was yeah, 100 to one. Yeah, you and were not on his was, side, as you recall. You kept calling him Sleepy Joe, but I'm not going to remind you. I didn't call you. him Sleepy Joe. I just said he had absolutely no chance of winning. I never yeah, called him Sleepy Joe. Yeah, you had some about his slowness, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. well, let's be honest, uh, and, and we can say this. I can say this now because he's going to be the president. He's a wonderful man. A good man is going to the White House. This is the worst candidate to win presidency in a long time. Why is that? Uh, I think every Democrat was headed towards November 3rd with this nervous feeling looking down in their car at a blinking red light that said, check engine, just mm-hmm. hoping that we were going to get there in time. Yeah. I don't think he's a str- I don't think he was a strong candidate. And no. uh, let's, strong enough. this is 60, 60 cents a cloth won mm-hmm. this election, specifically a mask. If right. it hadn't been for COVID-19, Trump would have won in a landslide. Probably. And the fact that he was so dismissive and incompetent, if he had just worn a mask early and said this is serious and made some, just some attempt at coordination and, and demonstrated some competence, he would have won. And uh, President-elect Biden's discipline, I mean, he didn't, really, he didn't really lay out or take any real stands here. Yeah. They just said, all you have to do is, is not be mask. Trump and wear a mask. And they yeah. did that brilliantly. Yeah. But let's be honest, he, he, he wasn't a great candidate. I right, don't think. But here he is. I think he seems more lively since the election, for sure. His he's speech built. Was, he's got good momentum. He's got good momentum. And I have to say, I think his speech was excellent. I thought yep, Kamala agreed. Harris's speech was great. Yep. Um, I think he's got, I think he's, you know, he's a conciliator. He's not a, he's, a, you know, it was interesting to watch sort of Connor Lamb and AOC sort of have a slight dust up in, on the Twitter for a minute. Uh, although I don't really care. I'm glad that there's two kinds of people in the Democratic Party. Who cares? Agreed. Um, uh, I think it's it's going to be an interesting time, but I think he is very akin. He's someone who's going to try to reach out no matter what. It was his nature to do that. It's been his nature his whole political career. So if people are going to be surprised by that, if he's going to cooperate with Republicans, you better get ready because he's going to. Um, what was interesting is which Republicans are reaching out. Condoleezza Rice just reached out. Obviously, George uh, yeah. uh, George Bush just uh, sent one out. Um, w sent one out. Um uh, Mitt Romney, Lisa Murkowski, uh, a whole bunch of people have extended all of branches, essentially. Um, what's interesting is who is not, and they're continuing. That's, uh, that's right. It's who hasn't. Basically, weird, every, every Republican weird. senator. Yeah, it's interesting. There's just three or four of them that have. Um, and, and, and a lot of them are doing the sort of middle of the ground, which is like, if everything's fine, it's good. If not, you know, he has every right to do it. And I think they're, what's interesting is them trying to assuage the feelings of one person, which I think they have to because they want to run in 2024. And if you, right now, if you piss him off, it's a bad time to piss him off. Even if, even if, even if it does, it's not going to matter in four years because I think it's not going to matter. I think he's going to fade away quickly um, because he can't help himself. Um, And as to the COVID thing, I think he couldn't respond in any other way because that's how he responds to everything. You know, rank incompetence, a disdain of science, a disdain of of experts, and so he couldn't have responded any other oh, way. He so could he could have. He, he could have said. He couldn't have. He this is our have enemy. Any other. The Chinese. He could have demonized the Chinese. He could have gone after it. He 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 literally he handled this. If they had, let me put this way, if they could do it again, they would have done it differently. I don't this know. Is why I don't they think lost. he controls himself. I think he, this, this is, is these are his lost. thematic ideas throughout his life. Like just like yeah. Joe Biden's thematic ideas is compromise. This guy's thematic ideas is science sucks, brown people suck. Uh, who cares? Death is death. Who? I, I, I'm, I'm shocked you're you're going as easy. I, I, I I'm am, not easy. I just well, don't on, think he had on. the capability. No, you didn't let me finish. You're going as easy on the Republican senators who haven't congratulated the peaceful transfer of power. There's so many things we took for granted. That is that is kind of one yeah. of the legs of the stool of a democracy. Yeah. Is that if, unless you say with valid elections, we look forward to working with the next administration. The reason why China is so vulnerable is that if if 
you try and boot one party out of office, it's revolution. Here we have the opportunity to go back and forth between different parties. But if you don't have a peaceful transfer of power and the Republican senators who refuse, who are just all sitting on their hands and if, if like all of a sudden aren't saying anything, they're basically saying, you know what, I, I don't buy, I'm not going to support the peaceful transfer of power. I'm not going to support a key to our democracy because I'm worried about what Trump will say and what happens to the yeah, but base. they've been doing it for four years. This has been like, this is nothing fresh. I'm, that's all I'm saying is like, are you surprised? What Jesus now I'm going spineless. to stand up. No, not for when he talked about, you know, military people, not when we talked about people of color, not when he talked about uh, people with, with yeah, issues, sure, everything. Come on, this guy, this is, they've done every single time. You know what the mandate was? Talks about, you know, uh, you know, attacking women and they were like, oh, well. Yeah, 30 women. The, it's interesting. People always like, the press tries to find a mandate in every election. Mm-hmm. The mandate here was no mandate. And if you really mm-hmm. look at it, you can... Republican women picked up uh, seats in the House. The only mandate you can take from this election, well, there's two mandates. One, they wanted Trump out, or America wanted Trump out. And two, the only other mandate here is the Green Wave. And I'm not talking about the Green New Deal. I'm talking about marijuana. Marijuana. Yeah. Uh, that was a big winner that people aren't talking about. The other big winner, I mean, there's so many interesting second-order effects here. I cannot imagine how much money Outdoor billboard, broadcast n- local news stations, and anything print, and and the Georgia representative for Google and Facebook, you, you really a billion dollars could pile into Georgia yeah. over those Senate elections, and it's really interesting because Georgia. Uh, you know, I, the, the two Republican candidates got the most votes. They, they didn't get enough for to avoid a runoff. But there's momentum on the Democratic side. Stacey Abrams is just a juggernaut. She is. That she is, is. going to be very strange. I think it's going to actually bring up some very uncomfortable things about money because pro- it could be a billion dollars going into Georgia. It'll be right tough. Now. I think that Warnick's really quite an impressive candidate. I think he's going to he's going to wipe the floor with uh, Kelly Loeffler. The other one's going to be tighter. Although I'm impressed by John Ossoff. Um, but we'll see. I think they'll, I bet, I bet, uh, Georgia will split the baby. That's how they're going to do it. And then we'll be where we are. Anyway, it's very exciting. And I know that you're shocked that, that the Republican senators aren't doing this, but they are just, do you think Ted Cruz is going to be anything but, uh, you know, a quizzling putz? Yeah, but it's an opportunity. I just yeah, strategically He's not going to take it. Why would he take it? He never I think has. one of them, I think, I think, like, eh. it's like if you stab the prince, you've got to be willing to kill him. He's dead. Mm-hmm. I and for them to come out right now and say, look, peaceful transfer of power, there's no reason we, you know, he got a lot right. There's no reason we can't continue these principles. But I, I welcome and look forward to working with uh, uh, President-elect uh-uh. Biden. I no. just think at some point uh-uh. at risks and leadership pay off. I think it would pay off for Republicans. They're not going to expect that. zero from them. If they, like, if they don't, like, kick people in the teeth, I'm surprised. Anyway, let's move on to big stories. Okay. Other big news this week, just today, is that Pfizer says it has de- they have developed a COVID-19 vaccine that has been 90% effective in early trials. Remember, they are early trials. Uh, Pfizer developed the vaccine with German drug maker BioNTech, it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, the company plans to ask the Food and Drug Administration for emergency authorization of the two-dose vaccine. It's a very difficult vaccine. It has to be frozen, cold, and other things like that. It's a, it's, and they don't know how long it will last, but nonetheless, it's a big breakthrough. Executives say it will have manufactured enough doses to immunize 15 to 20 million people by the end of the year. And again, not very many, but still it's a good thing. And it probably means good things for the other uh, other companies. And one thing to note is that Pfizer did not use, uh, was not part of Operation Warp Speed. They did sign, a, say, around distribution. Hmm. They certainly will work with the government, but they did it on their own. Uh, so they're not part of the effort. Of course, uh, uh, Vice President Pence tried to take credit for this, but Pfizer and Pfizer pushed back pretty hard, saying they were not part of the government Warp Speed effort, which was interesting back and forth this morning. So so what do you think about this? This is a good good news, good news, and it comes sort of perfect timing in a weird way. Well, it's it's very exciting. When you, when you think about, you don't want to bet against humanity, right? And, and the thing that separates us from other species is cooperation. And this is what you would, would have hoped for across some of the prevention efforts around COVID-19 was more of a globally coordinated response. And this is a I think an American company who is tax sheltered in the Isle of Man working with Germans. I mean, it is sort of a cross-border yeah. victory. I, I take this with a grain of salt because I remember I, I get invited to these Master of the Universe uh, conference calls where it's all these hedge fund titans talking about the world. Mm-hmm. And I remember that the one I was in in May and June saying, and these were 
gentlemen who were all on the board of Name the Hospital, who, right. you know, quote unquote, have inside information saying that pretty much they were assuring me we'd have a vaccine distributed by September, the month, yeah. you know, this past September. So I, I look, I just, I, I'm hopeful, but we've, we've had some head fakes before on this. <laughs> so we'll see. But the markets love it. The markets love Biden. What's interesting, or the, I thought the most interesting thing about the market this morning in the in the face of this great news about a vaccine, is all the home stocks that were skyrocketing. Amazon's down. Mm-hmm. So all the companies that were benefiting from b- us being locked in our homes are actually a little bit down today. And when I say down, I mean they've lost 1% right. off their 60% gains. Right. But the markets love it. A vaccine is a, uh, you know, a, 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 a thoughtful... Uh, effective distribution of a vaccine would be wonderful for the world. It'd be wonderful for science. Hopefully it convinces people about one of the greatest things that humanity has ever stumbled upon or, mm-hmm. or worked towards, and that's vaccines. So I look, I'm excited, but I take it with a little bit of cautious optimism. Yeah, you do have to realize, I did a very good interview with Monsef Slawi, who's running Warp Speed, and he was uh, he was uh, sketching out, even if something good happened right about now, which he said he would. He actually, if you go back and listen to that, he's quite accurate at what's happening. He did talk about it not getting to the general public for a long time, and he was talking into next summer. Um, and so it will go out first to healthcare workers and then it will go to the elderly and people at, in need, uh, in, in distress in, in areas where they could easily die of COVID. And then it will go out to the general public. And he, he, you know, the military is going to be part of, of, of getting these, uh, these doses out to people. And again, this particular vaccine requires, I think, two vac, two, two immunizations. And then also the, the way it is, uh, ha- handled is critically important because you can really, the efficacy goes down quite a bit if it's not not uh, correctly refrigerated in the way it's supposed to be. So, hmm. you know, there's other vaccines being worked on that are not refrigerated. There are some right. that are one dose. Um, so it will be quite a while. But I think it's it's a, it's a it's a dose of good news that people need it. And of course, the stock market took and ran with it. Um, what was interesting is is to me the executives pushing back really hard about that about it. It wasn't a government effort and everything. So a lot of these these biotech people, and I've talked to a bunch of them, just didn't want to work with the government because of the politicization of the COVID, and they didn't want to be linked. With a with an with an administration that had um, sort of had, had had pushed herd immunity and things like that, and you know, but you know, the Germans did give money to this firm. By the way, the German government, which has been handling their crisis in a different way than we have, um, but you're right. This is this is a big deal, but it's not the only deal, and so we have to think really hard about where we're going and when we're returning. And probably, if as I hate to tell it to people, but it's probably next summer uh, before there's real breakthroughs in terms of, of immunization for a wide range of people across the globe. And after, you know, the, the, the kind of momentary lull or excitement from the results of the election, you know, I think, unfortunately, the media and all of us are going to turn our attention back to COVID-19, which yep. has gotten uglier and uglier. Absolutely. And it is going to be, the thing is, we have not endured COVID-19 during the winter. Yeah. And uh, you know, if you look at if you look at infection rates, it looks as if there is a correlation yeah, between. My brother says it's just. My brother's a doctor said it's just coming off the charts, even in places that are good. And you have to be careful. Well, look 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 at when Florida was bad. Florida was bad in the summer yeah. months because we have to go indoors. And when you look at what's happening now, the sunshine states aren't getting hit quite as hard. It's all about have, when you have to go indoors. Yep, one hundred percent. The winter is. This could be. You know, you just hate to say it. This could be a really ugly winter, and yeah. we haven't been. I don't think we want to face it. I think everyone's exhausted and distracted with the election, but I think pretty quickly we're going to turn turn back. And I hope the Biden administration. It's too bad that we have well, to. Well, they two did months. note that in their statement. They were. They. It was interesting because Trump did all caps. I won, kind of thing. And right. Pence tried to take a lap, which he doesn't deserve to take. Um, and Biden's statement was so considered. It was like, this is great, but it's only the first step. Continue to wear masks. We are not out of the woods. And then he named that group of people for his uh, COVID, yeah, which was full force. of actual scientists. It was yeah. such a pleasure, including Rick Bright, who uh, uh, Trump had washed out. He was a whistleblower about the behaviors of the uh, Trump administration. So it was that was sort of a, a slight troll, although he's cert- he's highly qualified for that job. But the people on that um, that committee were sort of the the, the gold standard of right. of, of uh, yeah, who you would hope would be on a committee like that. Yeah. Exactly. You couldn't have cast it better. It sort of was yeah. the the guy who's who's working for Trump, that idiot, uh, Scott, whatever the, 
that guy from standing must say his name. He's such an imbecile. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, but they're still running it for a while. And so that's the, that's the issue is will they take, use the opportunity rather than do press releases? Um, and of course, I think none of them, even though there was just a recent outbreak in the White House, will be wearing masks or pushing anyone. But what's interesting to me is the governor of, uh, Utah just put a mask mandate on, I think he's hmm. a Republican governor throughout the whole state because it's so bad there. Um, and so you're going to see mass, you know, Biden has talked about a mask mandate across the country, but governors are already doing it, including Republican governors, which is, they can't, they can't mess around with this stuff. It's just like, I, I, I don't know if we're, I know we're at record, record infections. Are we at record hospitalizations? Rest, not, yeah, we're record everything. Yeah. So it's just um, like, uh, it, this is a time uh, and not that, not that anyone's going to listen to us, but I, if if someone if someone was advising Trump around how to try and you know I don't know diminish the dam- damage of his legacy, I still don't think it's too late for them to get much more aggressive yep. around masking. And anyway, it's no, a, this is going to get golf and having yeah, legal things. Yeah. I mean, if he was concerned, he wouldn't be playing golf two days this weekend. And by the way, it's been a beautiful week, gorgeous weather here. And it's a hurricane it? down but, here. Yeah, it's unusually. 75 degrees outside, I think, right now, which is really weird, which is good because everyone's outside. In any case, this is a good news, but we are, as usual, because we are so considered and we don't play loud music and gloat. uh, Not us. Not us. We think this is great. Rescue dog going to the White House. Rescue dog going to the White House. That's right. Dogs are back. Did Trump even have a dog? Those weirdos didn't even have a pet, No, he hates dogs. He hates pets. He doesn't like the fur. Are you kidding? They never have dogs. you got to have a dog, everyone. I have always had mm-hmm. dogs with my kids. I think it's very healthy, uh, cats and dogs. Anyway, um, all right, Scott, let's go on a quick break. And by the way, use rescue dogs. I always, I have all rescue pets, and I think it's a really important thing to do. All right, Scott, let's go on a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about more issues with about the halted Ant Group IPO, and we'll have on a friend of Pivot and Lyft CEO, John Zimmer, who you're going to be able to talk to him about all these issues you have. I think you'll find him a little different than the Uber people. Yeah. All right, Scott, we're back. Analysts say that China's halting of Ant Group's IPO could slash the company's value by as much as $140 billion. Oh, my God, I almost choked on that when I saw yeah, it. Crazy, if Ant's right? $280 billion pre-IPO valuation is halved, it would essentially mean the company's worth less than it was two years ago. China is doubling down on the need to regulate financial technology. Not a surprise. It is China. Uh, really important information in those things, but uh, this is what's happening. Um, a week ago, it was supposed to be the biggest IPO in history. Where does this leave Ant, Scott? It's really interesting. It's um, I initially saw a conspiracy in it, and it's not to say it's not true, but I initially thought it was yeah, you did. the you Chinese um, uh, government weighing in and saying, no, you better do exactly what we want when we want it. You're, you're a tool of the government, and we're going to stop the IPO until you, until you sign up or sign on. And what it looks like is that they basically have stepped in and maybe done what American regulators should have done before these companies blitzscaled, and they're at least on the service, being thoughtful around. All right, if you're if you're a bank and you're loaning money and you you create a certain and you have this kind of dominance, which can create a certain fragility because if yes, something sir. were to go wrong with Ant in terms of yeah, it being overextended or it if it gets hacked, that you have an anti fragile financial system that could create real panic or or real problems. And so what they've said is they said, if you want to be a bank, you have to have the capital reserves That's right. and the loan reserves of a traditional bank, which, by the way, makes it a shittier business, right? Yeah. It makes yeah. it a business. You don't get the same asset light. It's much more fun not to have business licenses yeah. or Risky not to be subject. Fun. Risky is good for yeah, this. Or not to be subject to legal liability laws. I mean, the thing that all of these kind of all of these guys have had, in addition to uh, great innovation, great engineering, great marketing, is they haven't been hampered by the regulation that the rest of the industry had been subject to, right? And they were, Ant was on its way to being the non-bank bank that wasn't, that had all of the great taste of a bank, but none of the calories, specifically the capital reserve requirements. And they've weighed in and said, okay, you need to be, if you're going to be a bank, you need to have the 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 calories. And then all of a sudden, these analysts are saying, well, if it's a bank, it should trade it two times book, not four times. And they say the value is going to get cut in half. By the way, if this thing really, if the value really does get cut in half, mm-hmm. wow, is that a buy? 
If yeah. this thing gets valued like a traditional bank, yeah, you, you know, th- this is going to be a great, a great buy. But it's just, it's just staggering to think that this move could shed 150 billion. You could shed the value of Airbus and Boeing off a company that was at the finish line All because right, they said, okay, you're a bank. lofty valuations. But so, so do you think fintech should be regulated? You see the United States taking similar measures in the future. I mean, there again, there isn't one. Ant dominates in China, and it, you don't have one fintech company dominating here. There's quite a lot of players actually. Yeah, I think it's situational. I think the regulations that have come crumbling down around health tech and remote medicine and telemedicine are a wonderful thing. I think deregulating across that industry has been fantastic. I do think on the flip side, though, that this general narrative that comes out of Silicon Valley of uh, if you regulate us like you regulate traditional industry, you're not embracing innovation and you're not right. a capitalist, you're a socialist. And we need social media networks that can be weaponized and oh, mm-hmm. no, they're platforms. And oh, by the way, you should have an electronic trading platform that addicts young men. And even oh, if they commit problem. suicide, we don't regulate you like we would regulate anyone else. That narrative coming out of Silicon Valley, that needs to be cauterized. Mm-hmm. And we should absolutely look at fintech and say, all right, where apply the same game theory and scenario planning and capital reserves and Sarbanes-Oxley and say, what would happen if one of these guys went down? Yeah. Could they? Could they? Could we end up with lines around a bank? You know, what could happen? Yeah. So, I, I'm all for what I'll call thoughtful examination and, if necessary, regulation. We have pivoted way too hard to the other end of "quote unquote" blitz scale at all costs to society. Yeah, and we. But there ventured- is no. There's no player in. The United States, like there is Ant, Ant, Ant dominates. Yeah, They're like the Amazon of China agreed. in that regard. And lots, of, and so is Alibaba in a lot of ways. So I think you're not going to necessarily see that, but individually, like with Robin Hood and which is what Scott was referring to, um, is critically important. I think they, and I do think the financial, I don't think they're running amok the way, if you remember in the beginning when a lot of these, um, genetics companies, uh, you know, went against the FDA and they got slapped back pretty hard. I do think these companies, uh, are in store for a lot more financial regulation, certainly under a Biden administration than anything else. And so you're not going to see that sort of boom in fintech in the same way without the regulations. And this is a sector that is used to being regulated. And, and you also see the pressure from the banks who get regulated all the time to make sure everyone else gets regulated as much as they do or else all the regulations are removed. And so I don't see your, I don't think you're going to see that, but you're right. It doesn't make as much money if it's not. As regulated. That's well, and that'll me. be that'll be the argument. They they will say, but look at Ant. Do you really want the Chinese fintech to overrun what has been an incredibly strong financial services sector? Also, fintech is pretty strong. That's one place the UK has excelled is mm-hmm. they have pretty strong fintech. So they'll turn it into Silicon Valley will turn it into a nationalist argument. But look, we we have erred on the side of too, in my opinion, too little regulation in the face of our idolatry of innovators. All right, all right. On that note. Okay, we're going to bring on a friend of Pivot. John Zimmer is the president and co-founder of the rideshare company Lyft. Welcome, John. John, welcome to Pivot. Thanks for having me. All right, so we have lots to talk to you about. Scott has been, as you know, pillaring Uber, and you get off for some reason because you're a nice guy. You're the nice guy of, of, of ride-sharing. But let's talk a little bit about what happens in California now that Prop 22 has been passed. How does it interact with AB5, and how will it affect drivers outside of California? So why don't you give us the overview? Sounds good. So uh, first, this wasn't a no on AB5. This was a yes on Prop 22, which adds benefits uh, allows drivers to remain independent contractors, mm-hmm. adds benefits uh, like uh, healthcare subsidy, uh, disability protection, uh, and more. And uh, this is a win-win for drivers, for riders, for the California economy, and obviously for uh, Lyft. Uh, and it allows us to continue to expand the number of earning opportunities we have in California. And it sets the stage for a new model of independent contractor plus benefits that we can work across the country to establish. Yeah, but you know people didn't see it that way. It looked like you guys were spending enormous, and what is it, $200 million against a smaller group, and that it looked like you were trying to uh, change employment law in a way that was not uh, kind to the drivers or or others that work in the gig economy. nearly had 60% support for this measure. Yes, they did. And so I I believe people did see it that way, uh, the majority of people. Drivers six to one, Mm-hmm. Uh, prefer to be independent contractors, and so the, the the you know zooming out the question is, let's look at labor law. You know, uh, unions and 
workers have fought for decades to establish labor law. That is important. That is, you know, worthwhile. Uh, mm -hmm. That is valuable. And let's look at kind of the, the new work opportunities that exist today with platforms and say, how can we both get those protections while not, you know, taking a one size fits all approach to people that are using this platform in hundreds of different ways? I could use it one hour, one week. I could work full time for three months and then never come back to work. I could, you know, skip two months. There's all these different ways I might use it. And so the, the idea is let's have benefits. Let's have benefits that scale with the amount that you use the service. So when, but when you, when you think about it, the idea of changing work, you're taking a more conciliatory approach than Uber, which has been very aggressive on this. How do you differentiate this idea of changing the idea of what work is? Cause this is a big topic you and I have talked about over the years. Lots of, lots of politicians is the idea of what a, an employee is has to change, obviously, with all these, not just you, but all the other ways to work. Um, and this pandemic has sort of underscored that, um, that issue of, of benefits and healthcare and things like that. So how would, it, it, how do you get to a conciliatory approach since this has been so not conciliatory? Yeah, I mean, we've taken that approach since the beginning. I know you and I have talked for a while. This is my first time meeting Scott. Excited <laughs> to meet you, Scott. Uh, but, you know, Thanks, I came into this from a hospitality background. Uh, you know, and, and knowing that the, the worker is incredibly important to the success uh, of the business. Um, you know, we came into this to change transportation, to make our cities yes. better. And we, we take a huge and feel a huge weight of the responsibility of what we're doing uh, in cities. And then, you know, while trying to change transportation, all of a sudden we created 2 million work opportunities where 1% of the U.S. Uh, workforce is earning income on the platform. So mm -hmm. we absolutely, it's our responsibility to listen to the workers, to listen to policymakers, to listen to and talk to labor leaders and not be scared of that. And that's what, what I've done. That's what we've done. Uh, I've learned through that process. This is, you know, part of the, the new model. And as we go across the country and other states uh, and hopefully look at federal policy, we'll continue to listen to all sides. All right, Scott? Yeah, so look, uh, to, to your point, Almost two-thirds of California voters uh, went for this. But, but let's be clear. Um, this doesn't offer minimum wage. It doesn't offer access to paid leave. Should we talk about minimum wage? Because there's a 120% guarantee. Minimum when wage you're working. times a When the, yeah, when when the app working. is on. So you could work Correct. for five hours and not make anything. If, you're, if you are anyway. in an area where there's no riders right. and you turn on the app, uh, correct. So if I work at a McDonald's and there's no one in the restaurant, I still get paid. Yeah, but let's talk about that. That's a good point. It's a fair point. So what we did is we said 120% times minimum wage. So if minimum wage goes up, it's still when 120%. The app yeah, let me finish. Is on. Yeah. Okay. When when the app is on, right? If, if when you, you have a rider in the backseat. Uh, no. Uh, it's it's during engage time. So when you're on your way to a rider. Okay. But when you're with a rider, both of those times, the one time that you're pointing out that is not covered is when you're sitting there with no requests coming to you. So I could park in the middle of nowhere and, and not get any rides. If you were to be, and that's why we went over minimum wage, we did 120% because there are times like that where that happens, where that is part of the work. But if you were to do that for all times, then what would happen is the, the companies would have to create schedules. We would we would not be able to just have an app that you could turn on and earn money at any time, no matter where you are. That wouldn't that no no company, no competitive company could do that. Even if we did it, which wouldn't make any sense, someone else wouldn't do it. It just doesn't work that way. If you had the app on and everyone was earning money from the second it went on, it would lead to shifts. Shifts don't work for this workforce. And so there there's puts and takes, but that's why we went over the minimum wage for the periods when you either are on your way to a rider or with a rider. No access to paid leave, no access to unemployment insurance, workers' comp, no overtime or not a single day of paid sick leave when we're facing a raging global pandemic. And it's basically made it impossible for gig workers to unionize. Where do I get that so Let's wrong? talk about those two points. That's, that's totally fair. So first of all, it does include a healthcare subsidy, which is cash for your healthcare. At 15 hours of that engaged time or more, you're getting 50% of that subsidy. At 25 hours or more, you're getting 100% of that subsidy. I heard you on sick leave. And on, on these other you know, pieces like sick leave, 
What I think is a great national policy is to create a savings account for these workers mm-hmm. for portable benefits where they can use it for things like sick leave or health care, whatever is most important to that individual. On, on the unionization piece, I've had you know union leaders come and tell me, we do not believe we could unionize your workers because they are so transient in, in nature. And so my point is, yeah, so let's work together. Let's create a new model. I've sat down for respecting their privacy and the confidentiality and the politics on their end. I haven't said, you know, who I've met with, but I've met with probably every major union in some form, uh, whether it's their, their you know, uh, a local leader or otherwise, and, and had conversations. Why We don't have to be at odds. Uh, we, we can create a new model of work together. I am not against that. Uh, so but it is I, I, look, you won, you won. I don't want to relitigate it. America, Californians voted. You got almost two thirds. So let's let, let's move on to your point. And I believe you that more drivers wanted this than not. California voters get to get got to decide. They decided. So let's talk about the business. I, I, I look at ride hailing and I see a company. I see a business right now that has been that doesn't look to be profitable. Looks to be, I don't know if it's cyclically impaired or structurally impaired because of COVID-19. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. And then I look at Lyft, which right now doesn't have the scale of Uber. How do you, when you look at Uber, if you look at this as a duopoly or two big players, how do you, John Zimmer, what's your vision for how you differentiate from Uber? How do you guys carve out something that results in greater margin profitability? What What is your strategy as it relates to 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 the bigger player? Yeah, so we are 100% focused on creating the best consumer transportation platform. We're not trying to do everything like our competitor is. So what does that mean? That means that, you know, if you're in New York City uh, and you want to take a bike, you know, we actually own City Bike, we own Bay Wheels, Mm -hmm. we own the Divi system in Chicago. So we've stayed invested in bike share uh, while they've divested. Uh, We've created a rental car business, a consumer rental car business, as well as a fleet business for our drivers. Well, they've divested that. And uh, and we have other pieces of the kind of consumer transportation stack that they won't have. So as we create a subscription service in transportation where this is heading, if you want to get access to all the different ways of getting around, you will only be able to get that with Lyft. Uh, that's so number pause, one. Pause right there. Subscription service to transportation. I, I like the sound of that. Can you say more? What do you mean? He loves a rundle. So uh, in the same way that you uh, have you know, an AT&T, Verizon, or T-Mobile plan, mm-hmm. I see the future of transportation is that you get, instead of minutes, you get your miles uh, and maybe unlimited access to bikes and, and, and transit and things like that to provide your full portfolio of transportation. Today, Americans spend $9,000 every year owning and operating a car, the average American household, and they use the car 4% of the time. That was the light bulb for me uh, from hospitality. This is horrible occupancy. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is instead for less money than $9,000 a year, we can get you a monthly subscription plan to give you all your transportation. You never have to deal with car insurance, maintenance, any of that ever again. That's where this is heading. And if you do not have all the different modes, which Lyft has and Uber doesn't, then you will not have the best consumer experience. So that's how we win. So you think about when you think about the idea of a transportation company versus a versus anything else, which Uber is, has so many parts. You're absolutely right. When you're, it, it will rely on gig workers on the gig working. So what it would be a, a vision for a model of gig working? You're talking about working with unions who have to publicly say this sucks. Um, what is what would be the model for you? These these public, such as you were talking about savings plans. If you could put it out right now, what would be the model you would pick? Right now, I'd say that you create this uh, portable savings plan that the uh, you know the company is putting money into. The more you work, and then there are, you know are rules, regulations on how you can draw down that money for sick paid you know sick leave, paid time off, uh, for healthcare benefits. Uh, even potentially for you know retirement investment. Um, so let's create a pool of uh, you know self-employed savings account type opportunity. And uh, in terms of in terms of labor, you know that's a that's a live conversation. That's an ongoing conversation. I I believe personally that it would be much more fruitful if we find ways to work together than if uh, that if we're always at odds. 
And then in what Scott was talking about, the subscription, how much of part of that would, would each of these elements be in terms of helping the workers out? Would they get a percentage of that? Is there some way to have them share in it as you grow, say, the subscription bundle? Um, so, I mean, there, there's workers on the, on the bike share program. There's workers on ride share and rental cars. There's yeah. tons of job opportunities for sure. So the, the job opportunities and earnings sh- should be increasing along with that. You know, one thing that we explored when we went public was the opportunity to uh, grant stock to, to workers. Uh, upon going public, we did find a way to do it uh, such that uh, top drivers did receive uh, a, a one-time stock grant. It is quite complicated, the, the laws yeah. around this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I would love to innovate there as well. I think that would be a great opportunity uh, to allow everyone to, to ride in that upside. I, I appreciate that you don't want to define your business model in the context of a competitor. But I think, okay, how does Lyft differentiate here? Have you given any consideration? Because I occasionally see a, a vehicle drive up and it has both a Lyft and an Uber sticker in it. Have you thought about trying to go vertical and a either actually invest in or have proprietary or differentiated experiences through your own? And I know you've done that a little bit with your with your bikes and your scooters, but uh, get more vertical in terms of owning or operating the cars. And then it looks like your biggest competitor is no, I don't want to say in, not in the ride hailing business, but is now it looks like a bigger food delivery business. Are there other businesses you're interested in, whether it's logistics or food delivery, or, or are you doubling down on ride hailing? And transportation. Yeah. So the first point on experience, absolutely. Uh, think about that a lot. If you remember back in the early days. Yep. Uh, you the know, lips. Yeah. <laughs> a pink mustache. Yeah. yeah. Kira always called lips. Uh, and... Uh, you know, people got in the front seat. It was called lift your friend with a the car. There was a fist bump. And so yeah. we did focus early on on the experience. I think it's fair to say, you know, as as this went from something that nobody thought anyone would be doing, you know, getting into a ride with someone they hadn't met to now being, you know, billions of rides happening, the behaviors changed. Mm-hmm. And I think it's uh, a fair point to say now is the time to to rethink that experience. How can we add to it? We are thinking about that. Our original creative director came from Virgin America, who I think did a phenomenal job uh, creating a much better airline experience or in-cabin experience. Uh, as you move towards, to your point, getting more involved with the fleet of vehicles, you can do that more. And we have begun to uh, think through that. Um, we do have that fleet business I mentioned. And so there is more we can do to the vehicle than than uh, Uber could because they don't have that part of the business. So that's absolutely something we're thinking about. And we have much more work to do there. What, what was the second? Oh, sorry. The second Scott, part was, was other part? business lines. Yeah. Um, delivery is interesting. So we, you know, we've said, oh, we're hundred percent focused on personal transportation. Mm-hmm. Now, if there is a logistics opportunity, which we believe there is, that helps our drivers and obviously helps the business that is differentiated, then I'm interested in it. What I'm not interested in doing is creating another consumer delivery platform uh, where you can go on an app and and that app takes 30% from the local restaurant mm-hmm. uh, to get you your food. So what mm-hmm. we're doing is we're talking to uh, local businesses, uh, we're talking to larger retailers and saying, what is we're, what is working about these delivery models, what isn't? And what they're telling us is that we don't want to pay 20 30% to Uber Eats and these other platforms, right. when we're just looking for someone to help us with the logistics, you have, you know, million plus drivers. Mm-hmm. What if you could, you know, plug in and provide those job opportunities? Uh, but if they order organically from us, uh, we don't have to pay that 20 or 30% commission. So that's mm-hmm. actually the approach we will take. So you're going the um, Shopify approach towards... In a, in a sense, just for delivery. You know, mm-hmm. Shopify could even be a partner, you know, if they want to plug in, you know, you know, think about all these websites they have, you know, USPS, UPS, they could also have, you know, Lyft delivery uh, as, as one of those options. It's very, very early, uh, but it is something we are uh, looking at. So when you're thinking about all the other modes of transportation, which is the most promising? Because you've got sort of, I used a Lyft this weekend several times, actually, I was on a bike and then on a scooter and uh what do you, how do you look at this shaking out the other transportations, whether it's scooters or bikes or uh, public transportation, especially during this pandemic? I haven't gotten on a public transportation in six, six months, essentially, and I ride it all the time. Yeah, I mean, I believe deeply the value of public transportation. Logan, my co-founder, served on a public transit board before uh, he started this company. Um, and so... Uh, I think post-COVID, public transit will be important. I, you know, I hope the federal government helps the states out because they're in a tough situation right now uh, to pay for transit. I also think congestion pricing uh, 
which is uh, politically challenging, but the best way to reduce traffic where yeah. you take the additional revenue from people that can afford it and you put it into transit would be a great public policy solution. Um, aside from transit, which I think will have still a, a good future, uh, but, but have a tough few years, I think the bike is phenomenal. I mean, it's like people got super excited about the scooter because it was different and new. I think they got overexcited about it. I think the form factor will probably change. You know, could there be a seat? Uh, would that be better on a scooter? Probably. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, but the bike, the e-bike is such a great product. And so what we're seeing in, in New York City with City Bike, we've added e-bikes and it's becoming a, a material portion of the trips. Um, and you can go, you know, many more miles than people were going on, on the pedal bikes. And you have electric ones too. Yeah. Yeah. You've had Correct. a bunch of others. When, when they flooded into the market, I know you only have a few more minutes. When they flooded into the market, uh, they, that sort of messed it up for all of you. Correct. When there were so many of them. Yeah. I think it was, uh, I mean, we, we took a slightly different approach. Everyone was saying, Hey, let's throw a bunch of scooters into the market. Let's throw a bunch of e-bikes into the market. And we went and looked at the company, it was called Motivate, that owned City Bike, that owned these bike systems in all major cities and said, and they had these docks, right? The stations, if you're familiar in, in New mm -hmm. York City. And everyone said, that's the old dinosaur technology. It's all dockless. It's all, you know, scooters. And we were like, I'm not so sure. I mean, in a city in Manhattan, obviously things, uh, if you have uh, bikes and scooters strewn everywhere, you know, New Yorkers won't take that. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so we saw, you know, the future of bike share is a station-based system where you can actually charge in the station, which we're experimenting with now. Um, and, uh, that is the approach that, and we have, you know, exclusive contract with the city of New York to do that. So we've taken a different approach. You know, we participated in some of that early kind of scooter action, but we've mm -hmm. scaled down and I think right-sized that as well. Scott? What, uh, just in terms of, in terms of your culture, um, what would you describe as Lyft's superpower? Is it technology? Is it marketing? Wait, when you, when you think this is the competence or the domain expertise that we really want to invest in, that we're better, you know, we're better than most other companies, what is your superpower? It's infusing hospitality with technology. It's in being human. Uh, I think, you know, you guys have talked about it a lot. You know, if you if you just build a tech only business to optimize metrics and numbers and you forget what's behind the number, ultimately, that's bad for society. You know, we're still seeing whether or not it's bad for business, but I'm out to prove that when you infuse humanity or, in, you know, the way I talk about it, hospitality with technology uh, and that you don't forget what's behind those numbers, that you can do a lot of good. And, and we've got a lot of way left to prove that. Um, but you know, people have counted us out, uh, when Uber had 30 times more cash than us and said we would die and, and we've tripled our market share since then. So, uh, we've made progress, we have more to do, and that's what we're, we're going to prove. How, how does a, just a follow up, how does a consumer register that humanity and hospitality relative to other ride sharing companies right now? When they're thinking of tech only. Yeah. I mean, I think the brand, you know, uh, the way people relate to a company, you know, people don't relate to inanimate objects uh i mean some people do but uh that's but it's my relationship with the intangible surrounding lift that make me f that register the hospitality and the it's humanity the drivers the drivers it's, yeah it's it's the brand is not just you know the pink color is not just right. the name it's the drivers it's the way you're treated by customer customer support it's the email that you receive and uh you know again we have more work to do but the goal is that the 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 brand experience that you would uh, feel different getting your experience would be different with a Lyft driver than an Uber driver or another transportation. Correct. Got it. Yeah. So, so you know, I'm just working on my book about Silicon Valley, and I describe. I was working oh, on the section about describing the oh, hush, the offices of Lyft <laughs> versus visiting the offices of Uber. I went from one to the other, and the difference was so profound. You had the, the Lyft offices; it was like craft beer and soft things, and soft everything everything was soft and and lovely to sit on and then you go over to uber and it was under travis kalanick and it was like you were visiting one of dr evil's lairs and you felt like if you looked down at the ground you could go right into the shark tank just and like all the names of the of the of the rooms had things like death star and you know killer zone or something like that so it was there is a difference there's a difference in culture i have one last question you're about to report quarterly earnings in a week uh what are the big 
big earning learnings you've had during the pandemic and how will you know we talked to Brian Chesky and others about this what is your biggest learning and we know you got to go then biggest learning is that by having a portfolio of transportation options that I've been talking about that you know you you can protect in these situations obviously it's been hard it's been bad right you know we were down 75% at the peak now uh, back to about half uh, halfway back to where we were hmm. um wow. but bikes are up year over year Mm-hmm. Um, rental cars are, are still popular. Um, and so the more that we build out those other options, the more diversified our overall uh, transportation approach is, uh, the better the business, the healthier the business will be. And what's the hardest thing that you've had through the pandemic? What has been the most difficult? Internal communications, uh, managing the team through uh, quite a bit of adversity, um, you know, both what's happening on the, nationally in, in politics uh, and what's happening internally to the business. Uh, and, and, you know, keeping people focused on the long term when everyone is kind of talking about the short term, uh, that's always the hardest. And, and how many full-time employees at HQ and how many driver partners? Uh, it's about 5,000 people at the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if you look at kind of monthly actives, uh, it's, just, it's, it's under a million. Uh, but if you look at kind of how many drivers use it in a, in a year period, uh, it's close to 2 million. So approximately one to 400 ratio of a, a full-time employee to driver. Yep. Wow. Oh, amazing. John, thank you so much. Thank you, John. Good luck. Thank you. Good luck. Are you, one quick question. The vaccine news today, probably good news for companies like yours. Yeah. Great, great news for An American. <laughs> yes, I know that. We know that. We discussed <laughs> And uh, yes, good news for, for Lyft. All right. Thank you so much, John. We really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, John. Thank you. All right, Scott, one more quick break. Isn't John Zimmer nice? Isn't he a nice fella? He seems very nice and very likable. That's the problem. <laughs> That's the problem, Kara. <laughs> they're a different company. They're a very, it's a their very different. Up, by the way, your question was, aren't their stocks up 20% today? Yep, the vaccine yep, is. Yep, of course. We'll be back, though, after wins and fails. Maybe that's a win, the stock of all these companies. We'll be back after this. Okay, Scott, wins or fails? What what are your wins? What are your fails? Um, I was really moved by, I think, is his name Van Jones? The, Van Jones. I, oh, Van Jones. You don't like him? It's fine. He Aunt just hangs Santa? out with the Kushners quite a bit. <laughs> I don't know. Really? I just, like him. I think he's very impressive. I like him. He's, I like him. You Plus, like his he's crying? Very, he's very, very crying. handsome. Dan he's Lemon very was handsome. Crying. He's very handsome. Look, I, I think a win, and this is going to sound savvy. I think this is this election is a big win for dads. dads. The president of the United States is always someone a dad nods to with his sons. And what mm-hmm. do you tell what do you tell your sons the last four years when you have a yeah, ten and thirteen year old boy? This. Yep. And I, look, you may not like you may not like Biden's politics. His son received the Bronze Star. Mm-hmm. He's a decent man. He, he's known loss. He's humble. What, do you, what did you tell as a Known dad? quantity. What did you, what, what attributes did you ask your son to model? And the reality is the president, yes, you know, the president true. is always the male role model for a lot of young men, and it should be the role model for a lot of young women too. And I just think dads, I think a lot of dads uh, to Van Jones, uh, I was very moved by his emotion. Yes. I think this was a great day for dads. So the win is dads. I'm going to talk, I'm going to talk, I talked to my kids and I sat them down and they asked about Joe Biden. And I just had a much easier time talking about Joe Biden oh, huh? than I had about uh, President Trump. I think yeah. this is a victory for dads. So winners, dads. Yeah. He feels like an uncle to me, though. Uncles. Uncle Joe? Uncle Joe, yeah. Yeah, Uncle, yeah, yeah. agreed. What's your um, win? Uh, my win, obviously, Stacey Abrams, Women of yep. Color. Yeah, fantastic. Kamala Harris, just great, great all of it. By the way, on every aspect, on every side, like everybody's different. I mean, there was uh, Eva Longoria got a hard time because she looked like she was celebrating uh, Latina women over uh, uh, Black women. I, look, this Stacey Abrams is at the top, and I've interviewed her a whole bunch of times, and I've always found her so impressive. And what was really interesting to me is what she did, and I think a lot of people pointed this out, is that she was pushed to be, she was in the vice presidential candidate area. She was really pushed to run for Senate, as you recall. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and by the way, there's, as I said, Warnick is quite an impressive, and so is John Ossoff among mm-hmm. the Democrats. Um, 
she didn't do it. She didn't take the easy, she probably could have won the Senate seat uh, easily, a uh, problem because she's very, you know, she has a, but what she did is this block and tackle stuff through Fair Fight, uh, which was her, her voter suppression group mm-hmm. and really just registering people. She's just one of those door knocker type of politicians. Like you got to go out and say hi and talk to people and convince people and at least get people to have your information instead of creating these. She's very compromise oriented. And I think that is something that she, that, People always look at her, some of the right, and they're like, oh, she's liberal. I'm like, you know what? She's really quite compromise-oriented. And, and mm-hmm. it was interesting that her and Keisha Bottoms in, in Atlanta and several other women of color backed Joe Biden very early, way before other people did, you know, as as public figures. And I, I found that to be probably not the easiest call for her and others to make. And I think she just is one of these... I'm just going to do the work. I'm just going to do the work. And I really, you really, she's, even though she's so well known, she's not flashy in that regard. Um, mm-hmm. She's not, you know, tweeting all the time and doing all this sort of virtue signaling all over the place. She's just signing up voters, which is exactly mm-hmm. what worked here. Even though it was by the skin of its teeth, it worked. So that's my way. And my loss is, uh, you know, you hope that we as Democrats take away some lessons. We did a lot right. I think we made a couple almost managed to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. I think the defund the police narrative is a dumb narrative. Uh, I hope we put it to, I hope we put it to bed. Police reform is absolutely something we should look at, but defund the police was a really almost cost us. The other learning here is that we need to start, stop reducing um, uh, minority groups to one group and assume that they all are the same individuals. Mm -hmm. We don't do it with white people. We could talk about white suburbans, white college educate. We segment them. Yep. And the Latino vote in Southern Florida is Very much different than the Latino vote in Texas and California. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we need to st- we need to just get smarter around realizing that it cohorts, even in marketing, we've gone from we've moved on from demographic targeting. We go to behavioral targeting because an individual, whether they're white, black, or brown, who behaves a certain way, is more like the other cohort that behaves a certain way. So yep. I, I hope that we take away, we move away from distilling. Uh, these groups, especially the ones, I mean, it, we, you know what was fascinating here? Neither Kara? party can win that way. I have all the blacks. I have all the Latinas. Well, Latinas. It's, it's, it's just, just fascinating. If you look at whites, they have voted for the Republican nominee for president to the tune of between 56 yeah. and 58 percent. They have not changed. Amer- no. People are not changing. America is changing. Yeah. It's incredible how consistent yeah, white, white voters have been. Didn't come through the way. Yeah, they just, and they, they never just do. They, they never or they do. always do. They Think about do. it. All the money, all the policies, all the distinction, ladies. and it's between fifty-six and fifty-eight percent of whites stick the same vote for the Republican. Ladies. And so, Jesus, and ladies. so, it really is. Demographics are destiny, and yeah. this is this is what's happening here. And we need to, as Democrats, be smarter. Yeah, it was interesting. There was a shift of men, though. Men, white men shifted a little bit more than women did, which was interesting. We'll see. We don't have all the numbers yet, so we're not going to know what's going on. But it was not white ladies who brought us home on this one. Um, the fail has to be Alex Trebek. Oh, oh. yeah. Yeah, that is that is upsetting. Do you know he's still they're still broadcasting his jeopardies through December 25th? Well, he taped them they until taped last bunch. week, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. What a... What a great Eight years old, great life though. Celebration. Another person, quiet, decent. Nice. Yeah, he's he said he loved Rogers. he loved promoting that intelligence was cool. That's what he loved about he's Jeopardy. Uh, you know what? Alex Trebek is back. The ideas behind him, and he was just really a what a just an enjoyable person to have in a way in a place that's really important. I think it had, affects a lot more people Jeopardy than you know a lot more people across the country watch that show than not anything. a bad way to go though, right? Wouldn't you yeah. like to be doing? Yeah, you're, you you drop at your podcast mic. <laughs> yeah. Oh right. God! Boom! Yeah. There we go. Wait, Kara, are you That's sleeping? That's gonna happen. Kara, I, mean, are you I you had sleeping? a stroke. You know, I could. That could happen. What would you do? What would you call the police? What would you do? You'd what would like, I Kara, do? Kara, I call you your brother right away, Jeff. <laughs> I call him right away. You kidding? All right, I I get Alex Rebecca. What fail is yours? You can't insult Twitter. They did a good job. What are you? Who are you going to insult? Uh, I'm, an, I'm a shareholder in Twitter. No, I already I already have my loss. My loss was Democrats. Uh, some I hope we learn from our mistakes coming out yeah. of the election. All right, okay, that's a good fail. But otherwise, it's been. You know what? Honestly, I'll give you a win. Yeah. Rudy Giuliani at that Four Seasons landscaping. Oh. My God. <laughs> Is that, that one? I, I kept pinching why myself. We, like, is why this do we a joke? Love it so much. It's, it's hilarious. Like the crematorium, the porn <laughs> thing. It's just. 
Oh, so that's good. good. From the we Ritz Diner. Do, should we get him on here? No, he's crazy. Rudy? I don't think he'd come on. I'd yes, be friendly to Are you Rudy. kidding? He'd show up to an opening of a door. Come on. He yeah. would totally come on. I just don't think we want him. We got to get Rudy on. Us. We got to get Rudy yell on. yell at us and whatever. Oh, my God. Now we can't. America's mayor. The 9-11 of mayors. Oh, yeah. God. oh, my God. Terrible. That was terrible. That was terrible. But I'm going to let it go. All right. What a difference a week makes. As always, uh, email us at pivot at Vox America Media. again. America. 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 Who's that knocking at the door? <laughs> oh, it's immigrants. Oh, it's competence. <laughs> it's Jesus. Love the poor. We're back. Jesus is no longer throwing up in his know, mouth, it's going to be a hard road. We still have COVID. There's all kinds of economic issues. I'm not doing the, the, the little little end zone dance that Scott is doing right now uh, unnecessarily. But we are glad that things feel a little better. The vaccine is here, even though we've all been screaming at each other and are not not all to blame as much, honestly. No, we're not. But the fact of the matter is we're going to try to get along. We're going to try. I'm going to have Thanksgiving with my mom. I can't believe it. Um, But I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. She has to. The only issue I have is she's got to pronounce uh, Kamala Harris's name correctly or she can't enter the house or have any turkey. I don't mind her politics because she's got she's got great fashion. And I think that's more important. She does no politics. She has Fox News, whatever they say. Anyway, read us out, Scott. Today's episode was produced by Rebecca Sinanis. Fernando Finite engineered this episode. Our executive producer is Erica Anderson. Special thanks to Hannah Rosen and Drew Burroughs. If you like what you heard, please subscribe or download. All right, Kara. Big sigh of relief. Uh, America again. Uh, we're not, we're not, we're almost ungloating. I'm going to, uh, 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 maximum of 47 <laughs> months of gloating. And I just want to say, we I back, hate. We back, Europe. We back. I we hate back. my life so much less today. Thank you. Thank you to the 74 million uh, Americans. 75 and all the, 75 million, all the good people. And thank you to the other side for making it much easier. As fucked up as we are. Oh my God, you made it much easier. Oh, that was awful. That was very partisan. Anyways, (laughs) have a good rest of the week. We love you, America.